laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. If you're trying to find humor in in grief, uh, I would say don't don't force it. Like, don't try to make jokes about it just to make yourself feel better. The hard jokes that I wrote in the show, like the things that are said, like the ladybug stuff, are all things that happen or things that I thought of like almost immediately. So the longer story stuff, that's kind of what I have to sit down and write. But if I tried to sit down and write jokes with the thought of what's hilarious about the time my brother died in the car accident, like that seems ghoulish and I don't think it would have worked. Like I don't think I would have thought of jokes that way if I didn't just come up with them. So I would say don't force it, just kind of let it happen. Can't get enough of You Can't Laugh at That? Check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. And when you become a patron, you'll get exclusive access to deleted footage from every episode. You'll be the talk of the town. Your friends will think you're the coolest person ever. Patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. Find all sorts of new reasons to laugh at your friends for not being as cool as you. Cool. Well, welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics you can't laugh at and we find ways to laugh at them in the never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. Today, we've got Steve Murs with us, just lounging on the old leather, authentic leather couch. Uh, oh, it's not authentic leather. Good one, though. But uh, I didn't think it was, but <laughs> I just needed your confirmation. Yeah. And uh, not on a leather couch, and joining us from Jersey is comedian Glenn Tickle. What's going on, man? Hello, friends. Uh, I'm on a, a wooden chair, if we're talking about seating materials. Authentic wood? Just hanging out on my dining room table. I think yeah. it's real wood. I don't know why it wouldn't be. It's probably particle wood. Uh, <laughs> the bottom part. That's where you can usually tell. Odds are it's wood wood, like real wood. It's probably legit wood. But if it's not oak, I don't want to have any. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't. I don't know what kind. I'm not like Offerman. I can't identify woods. We're real partial. Um, yeah. Right. So uh, Glenn uh, has been. How long have you been doing comedy, man? Uh, Eleven years. Eleven years. I don't know. A ten. I don't know if I'm counting this last one. Like 2020, I've not done a lot. But uh, it was. It was ten years. There are 11 years in October. <sighs> like, this is the least amount of comedy I've done the whole time I've done comedy. Because I think when you start, you get so excited about it, and you're, like, going to every open mic you can find in the middle of New Jersey and eastern Pennsylvania. And then... Because uh, I, I didn't have kids at the time, and now I do, so, like... I don't know. I'll go to open mic sometimes, but if it's, it's only like, well, I got to work out a bit or I need an excuse to n not be around these kids <laughs> for an hour and a half. Right. right. That's, a, that's a good excuse. But now you can, now that doesn't exist anymore. 
Yeah. They're around all the time, which I, well, I was, I was working on a bit about how much my children are around before the pandemic. And now it's like, Oh, literally all the time. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. The universe was like, let's, let's take this joke to the next level. Yeah. The only other people I've really been interacting with are my in-laws. Uh, Cause before the pandemic, they helped watch the kids a couple days a week. And then when it first started and nobody knew anything, uh, and we just kind of went into to lockdown. Uh, it was just me, my wife, and, and the kids at home for like two months, I think. And then it got to the point where uh, we were really overwhelmed with just taking care of them all the time because my wife was still working and my kid was doing school virtually. And then my mother-in-law was just like, I don't know, I don't have anything to do. I'm just sitting around. Like, So we after like the, the two weeks or whatever, you make sure nobody has it. We started hanging out with them and now they're the only people I see all the time. Glenn is the uh, founder uh, of Circus Trapeze Records where you yes. can find his album and uh, you can't laugh at that alum Ricky Glore's album. Uh, and then you started Jerk the Magazine. What is that? What's that? Uh, Jerk the Magazine is my my quarantine project where uh, <laughs> I had the idea a while ago, but it, making a magazine is a lot of work and it's expensive. Uh, so I did a Kickstarter for it where basically the idea is it's, a, it's like a novelty magazine that you send people you think are jerks. Like uh, it. So it comes, it comes anonymously. Uh, they you don't get to see the payoff, but like, you know, it happens. So, uh, I wrote like a bunch, a bunch of articles. I hired contributors. Uh, I'm in the process of editing the first issue now. And this is hilarious. so they go to the mailbox, right. And they open it and there's a magazine addressed to them and it's all articles about what a jerk they are. Uh, I've, I, I've done a couple interviews about it and they've asked, they're like, is it, how to, is it like a guide? Does it make like be less of a jerk? I'm like, no, it's the opposite. Like the magazine, you buy it for the jerk, but it's ultimately for them. So I'm like, well, if they're a jerk, I want them to get the most out of it. Yeah. Uh, so Do you have ads for like, uh, I have some fake ones because I was, <laughs> I, I like got a bunch of magazines to look at it for like layout ideas and comparison. I'm like, what do I actually have to do here? And uh, most of them are about 32 pages. I'm like, that's a, that's a lot of pages. Yeah. And Dude, then I look, I'm like, these are like 80% ads. Like it's there's yeah. four articles in any issue of a magazine and it's just perfume ads yeah. the rest of the time. So I'm like, oh. so that takes some of the pressure off of actually writing, but like I'll Photoshop some fake ads in there. That's nice. Do you, uh, do you get information on the per? I mean, obviously, you know, you have to know a little bit about the person. Like you had conduct an interview with the person who wants to buy it. Uh, no, I mean the I we're doing postcards as well, which was uh, mostly it started as just like a Kickstarter incentive, uh, where for five dollars I'll send anybody in the world a postcard about what a jerk they are, and for that one I asked them I'm like what's why why are they a jerk, and then uh, I write something about that. Uh, but the magazine like isn't customized for everybody who orders it just because the printing would be insanely expensive. Glad also has uh, two comedy albums. Yes, really, uh, in parentheses. And the one that we're going to talk about today, Good Grief, a comedy about loss and being bad at it. Yeah. Uh, which I love how you talk about the title and like how you went through so many different options and kind of some of the... Yeah, fun. I try not to read reviews of yeah. it. 
Uh, I do look at like the star rating <laughs> on Amazon because I'm a narcissist, but I don't want to feel bad if somebody says a mean thing. And one of the negative reviews that I did read was that I say the title too many times. I'm like, but that's, I do a lot. I say it a lot in the first couple of minutes of the thing, but like as a, as one of the jokes, <laughs> like, like I, the joke doesn't work if I don't say the title. Right. That would be like, yeah. I mean, I get it if you're watching Return of the Jedi and they just keep saying it's the return. Yeah. (laughs) I love it when that happens in movies. But if they keep doing it, it's too much. In this case. Yeah. Your album uh, is is very, it's very well thought out. I appreciate that a lot. Um, Thank you. Because I sort of got into comedy in the first place through losing somebody and through like noticing uh, some of these weird things that people do. uh, Yeah. awkwardness and so the album was really uh, a kind of a fun it really brought back some memories like in a good way because yeah i don't know if that's how my brain works nice. I'm, like, glad, oh. I'm glad you liked it yeah i'm still convinced people are mad at me uh i mean i always am all about everything forever my entire life but i'm like they're like it's it's such a weird thing to try to do comedy about that i'm like there's i shouldn't do this but uh, i talk about it in the the show itself uh, a fair amount, mm-hmm. but my therapist is like, no, it's, you should absolutely do it. And my, like my parents were fine with it. Uh, I thought like I, I talked to my siblings about the bits where I talk about them specifically, but I didn't really ask them permission because right. I don't like we're on the same level. Like they don't out, outrank me. Like they don't have any, <laughs> any power <laughs> over me. I felt like my parents really didn't want me to do it. I wouldn't have done it, but I did tell them that they had to let me. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's fair though if i ever yeah i mean even if like if i tell a joke that's towing the line about somebody that i know i'll make sure to run it by them first um yeah yeah i do uh a lot of stuff about my daughters and now that my older one is seven she can like understand a bit what my job is and how it works uh so i i don't really run stuff by her but I think of her a lot where I'm like, well, I don't want her to hear a joke that I do about her and like feel bad. Yeah. You know, for tags. Yeah. And anytime I, I say in a joke that, that she said something, it's something she actually said, which is like my kind of lame defense of if she gets upset, she's like, why did you, why do you make me sound so scary? You terrify me. I don't like, don't, <laughs> talk about blood so much and I won't tell people you talk about blood all the time. That's it's your own fault. Um, all right. So take us kind of through uh, the, the conception. I mean, you mentioned it in, in the actual uh, special, but yeah. Uh, so my brother died in a car accident and my first, the first thought I had was a, was a joke. Uh, when my mother called to tell me and then I felt bad that I had thought of a joke at all, let alone like that was the first thing that happened. Uh, And I didn't say, I didn't say it to my mom because that would (laughs) have been very insensitive, but I wrote it down because I'm like, it's a good, it's a good joke. I don't want to like do the full bit, but the joke that I thought of was my younger brother died in a car accident, but I come from a big family. So I have spares and I'm like, that's, it's a good job. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to hype myself up too much. I'm like, it's pretty solid. <laughs> so I wrote it down. And then when I went down to my parents' houses and started talking to people, uh, you realize like, oh, everybody 
nobody has any idea how to comfort anybody when when tragedy hits because uh, everybody means well and I, I know that but I'm like oh people were saying the dumbest stuff so I opened up the same note on my phone that had the joke about spares and I just started writing like quotes of things people said that I thought were funny which is like how I normally write things anyway which is I wait for my kids to do something funny and then I write it down and then like think of the best way to frame it on stage so I'm like oh everybody's like saying the dumbest stuff so let me I'll make notes and come back to it later. I took two weeks off, which before the the pandemic was the longest. I think I had not done comedy since I started. Um, and then, I mean, you guys, like after a while, you just you get itchy to get back on stage. Uh, so I went, I think I talked about it in the special where I, the first open mic I did was like, it's run by friends. It's a small venue. Like there wasn't really much of an audience. It was mostly just, 10 of my friends hanging out every week. Uh, so I went and did it there. And a lot, of, some of it uh, is, was sort of the framework for the show. Like I did that spares joke. I think I did the story about the ladybug. Uh, some other stuff was like there pretty early on. Uh, and then there were a couple jokes where it was like, I can't do this one. Like this is too far. Cause I, I mean, I usually work clean as a comedian. Like I'm not particularly edgy. Uh, I mean, I, I guess doing a whole hour of comedy about your dead brother is somewhat edgy, but like, it's not, I don't buy into the, the thought of comics being like, Oh, I'm just going to get a reaction. Like, I don't care if they laugh. You should, that's your job. Like it's literally what they're paying you to do. Well, you're Uh, not, I, I, you're not like the whole album. It's, it's about, other people's reactions. It's not so much about, you know, your dead brother, which. Right. Like it's, that's kind of the, the framework for everything. Cause that's what like nobody. I'm, I mean, that's the, the inciting incident basically, but yeah, it's not like Lori Kilmartin did a great album of jokes about her dead father, but it's all like hard, you know, she's a, a writer for Conan. Like they're all hard set up punchline jokes about, about her dad and uh, they're all very funny, but uh, my special, it's not that like, it's cause I, again, like I don't want to make people feel bad. I don't think hers did. I love her work, but it's so good. They're different. I'm looking I forward to her until, doing a, 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 an album about her mom dying from COVID. Yeah. It'll be a fun little uh, double, a double album release. Um, <laughs> the sequel. Yeah. I, I don't want people to feel bad and I'm, I'm not saying hers did like, it's a great album. Uh, but you know, we write stuff differently. So I think it reflected in the album. I did wait until, um, like the hour was done until I watched, until I listened to her album or Patton Oswald's thing about his wife. Only anything that was like too similar. I think there was a third one and I don't remember. Um, there were three that I was avoiding because it was like a comedian doing comedy about the death of a loved one. I'm like, well, I don't want to... I wasn't worried. I'm like, oh, well, if there's a joke that's the same, I have to take it out. But it's if there's a joke that I'm working on and it's pretty close to one that's like already on a Patton Oswalt album, I'm like, well, I'm not. Why would I bother doing that? I mean, those those are great. <sighs> It's easy when you're when you, like that parallel thinking, um, 
you know, if you hear something similar to something you're working on and all of a sudden you're like, I've heard that before or, you know, so. Yeah. There's, there's a couple times, there's a, a comedian named James Heskey uh, from Philadelphia. He's in New York now, but uh, he one day texted me. He's like, Hey, uh, I just, I'm not, I don't care. There's just, I want you to know there's a, some open micer in like a Philly, a Facebook group saying that you stole a joke from me. He's like, I don't think you did. And I don't care. And I'm like, I just, it, this random guy is saying that you stole a joke. So I feel like you should know that. And I was like, what's the joke? Uh, and it's the dumbest. It's literally the first joke I ever wrote. It's incredibly, it's like such a dumb comedy joke. I'm like, I'm sure 10,000 people have written that joke. It's my wife and I adopted a dog recently. We've been trying to have one naturally for a year. And it's such a dumb joke. Mm. And his was about a cat, but like it was a similar like adoption pun. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not gonna not do it. I don't know what to tell you. He's like, Yeah, no, don't. He's just I just want you to know that this dickhead is complaining about you. I'm like, Oh, I don't and then I did it on the album. Uh not the good grief one. It wouldn't really fit in thematically, but yeah. on my first one. Uh, but I only included it because there's another joke that's similarly dumb that audiences don't like that one, but they like that adoption one. And like, to me, just the math of it, I'm like, those are this, there's the same, like you should, these should both work the same amount, the same number of times. And they don't. So I, I framed it as like this five minute bit to tell two lousy one-liners on my album. And then I sent it, I told James, I'm like, well, I recorded it first. So don't ever tell that joke again. I'll kill you. (laughs) (laughs) I win. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's dive into, because you mentioned the ladybug bit and uh, it's so funny. So um, let's, uh, let's start with that one, Jeremy. It's the first file that I sent you and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that and then go from there. I think it's such a good microcosm of the weird things people do to try to comfort. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of the, the single of it. A couple days after my brother died, I was down at my parents' house, uh, sitting on the edge of their pool. It was above ground, so I'm not bragging. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting on the edge of the pool, my feet were in the water, and I noticed a ladybug had fallen into the water. And I was like, you know what? Sad enough week already. No one else dies today. And I scooped this little bug up. And I put it on the deck next to me so it can, like, dry its wings and go eat aphids or whatever it had planned for the day. And uh, I took a nice picture of it, uh, and I put that picture up on Instagram. And within seconds, I would say, a friend of mine commented, you know what? That's probably your brother. (laughs) 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 To which I replied, you know what? No, stupid. That's a ladybug. Uh, my brother was an adult human man. <laughs> Ladybugs are very small. Mark was about 6'2", had no spots. That's how you can tell them apart. It's pretty easy. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't believe in reincarnation, but even if I did, not how it works, right? Like, you don't come back four days later as the adult version of whatever animal you have to be now, right? There's still a life cycle. You have to go from egg to larva to nymph to adult ladybug takes two to three weeks. I looked it up on Wikipedia and that's how I knew that they ate aphids from the beginning of this story. <laughs> also hell of a demotion, I think, right? Like, 
if reincarnation is real and the karmic ladder is is exi- like to go from human to bug, that's not nice. That's not a nice, helpful comment. Like if you, my brother wasn't perfect. He made some mistakes. If you told me he's a bonobo now, I'd be like, you know what? I buy it, but also, I think he would have a nice time. I think he would enjoy the bonobo lifestyle. <laughs> I think he would be very happy as a wild ape. It's our closest genetic relative. <laughs> so a small bump down, not human bug. That's where bugs go on the bottom. And finally, that ladybug was drowning. If I wasn't there, what, that's twice in one week my brother has to die? <laughs> Not a helpful comment, Leanne Marie, who is here. She came all the way from Pennsylvania to watch, and she knew I was going to do this because she's seen this show a couple of times. And every time I told her, I was like, I'm not going to do I'm not going to call you out by name this time. And I've, she's seen me do it enough times where she knew, you knew it was going to happen. You are my friend. And I know you mean well. Like I'm, I know I'm making fun of everybody trying to help me. <laughs> I know everybody means well. I just think I don't know. I'm gonna give you that giant picture of the ladybug, by the way. <laughs> because one, uh, when I ordered these prints, they these are a lot bigger than I thought they were gonna be. I don't have a lot of uh, room in my house for a four foot poster of a buck. <laughs> But you can have it because you're my friend. (laughs) And I feel bad for constantly doing this bit. (laughs) Not bad enough to not do it, let's be clear. (laughs) Kind of take us through uh, how that that part um, of the the special came to be. Uh, Sure, it's uh, it's true. Um, I think I say in the in the thing that everything happened. I realized I had the timeline wrong after the fact. It was actually, I think, a couple of weeks after my brother. I think I said it happened a couple of days, and then I said in the same drown in the same week. Uh, and I realized it before the recording, but I had done it that way so long because um, I didn't get a ton of chances to run this material before I recorded it. Um, because if you're just doing a regular set, it's hard to like. It's a hard topic to get into. I perform at colleges a lot. And it's it's weird to like spend half an hour talking about how you used to be a substitute teacher with a dumb name and then be like, oh, also death will come for us all. Uh, and then talk about my brother's car accident for a while. And then also try to like bring it back for a big closer. Uh, it was, I, I started touring as its own thing pretty early on. And that, the ladybug thing was, I think it was there from the jump or early on because it was... I forget the timeline because the first time I did a set was two weeks later, but it was like, I was, I was sitting in my parents' pool because they live down the street from me. It's like a, a real, everybody loves Raymond situation. Um, because I, I live in the town I've lived in since I was two years old, I think when we moved here. Um, and I used to take care, like my chore when I was a kid was to clean the pool and like vacuum it and stuff. Um, Cause it was, it's pretty easy and I didn't like doing a lot of other things, but I liked hanging out in the pool. Um, yeah. And I was, I, I took the picture you see in the special uh, and it was, it was pretty immediate. I think as, as soon as I put the picture up, my friend Leanne was like, that's probably your brother. And again, like I know she, me- she means well, she's just trying to help her sad friend, 
but a lot of I'd seen a lot of people post stuff like that before. Uh, somebody said something about birds coming back. Um, it wasn't funny, but I think I think it was my dad. Like the day after my brother, like we're all hanging out at my parents' house pretty heavily after it happened. I think it was my dad said he thought Mark had come to him in some way, and I'm like, I'm not gonna make fun of my dad for his grief, but I will make fun of my friend Leanne for saying that she thought a bug was my brother. Um, it's just one of the things where like you, you, I know they mean, well, I know they're trying to help, but also you are saying that my human brother is a stupid bug now. So like, that's not, it's not nice. Uh, and I don't know why you think that would make me feel better. Um, I've already started warning people. I have a 14 year old dog who's got some health problems. I'm like, if I, if one of you people sends me that dumb rainbow bridge poem, I will burn your house down and never talk to you again. Uh, Cause I know it's coming and I've had them for a long time and I do love my dog, but like, I think I talked about it on the first album, uh, putting him down. <laughs> and that was seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think no, five, I don't remember. Time is a illusion. Right, right. Um, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything, but I talk about putting him down, but he was like pretty young and healthy at the time. And now I think about it as like, we brought him to the vet yesterday. He had to get a growth removed. I'm like, what if they say like, you should probably, do? I'm like, we would probably have to just cause he's a thousand years old. He has dog Alzheimer's, which yeah. is funnier than it sounds. It's not as funny as it sounds. It's got a real name, but I just keep calling it dog Alzheimer's. That's it. Um, so I keep getting sidetracked too because I have uh, ADD, which is addressed in the special, but not by any, still not addressed by any medication or things to do that would help. Uh, but the ladybug joke, yeah. So I did, I told her, I replied, that's my brother or however I worded it. And I took it down. I took her comment down pretty quick because I didn't want other people like jumping on my reply mm -hmm. and being like, yeah, how, I'm like, because she's, my friend and I like, I didn't want her to feel bad. So I took the comment down and then I texted her. I was like, Hey, uh, I deleted it. I just don't want, like, I don't care. I'm not mad at you. I just, I don't want my reply to then like lead to other people being mean to you. Cause like, I, I get that you're trying to help or whatever. Uh, but then I did, I started calling her out by name for doing that almost immediately because, uh, she comes to a lot of comedy shows, uh, in the Lehigh Valley where I perform a lot in Pennsylvania. And uh, the first time I was doing that bit and I saw she was in the audience, I was like, oh yeah, you did. It was my friend, it was Leanne. Like you did that. Um, Cause I thought it would be funny. And uh, I was right. It was, it gets a laugh every time I call her out. Uh, she came, I did a full run of the show at the same venue. I did my album, my first album at, and she was there. And that, I think that was the last time I ran the whole thing before I recorded it. And it was like months apart. Uh, but I was doing workshops of it to uh, figure out what to include and what not, which was like I rented an actor rehearsal space uh, and had, I think the, uh, the audiences for that averaged about four people. <laughs> uh, so it was mostly just like to get timing and see, you know, to get some kind of reaction from people. And she came to a couple of them. So I was sure to call her out in those as well. Um, and I did really give her that bug picture. I don't know if she hung it up because I haven't been to her place since. Uh, but she has it. 
Oh, that's, that's, that's sweet. Um, so you rented out these rehearsal spaces. Obviously it's hard to get like an hour uh, on stage. Anyway. Right. So I assume that that's why be- I ended up having to essentially rent a place. Okay. Um, I toured it. I did it in a couple cities around the country. Um, and not a lot of people came because again, it's a tough subject. I am not famous. Like I don't have any draw really, but I did it specifically in places that I didn't know anybody because I still, I talked about it in the show where I'm like, I think people are going to get mad at me. I feel like people are telling me it's okay just because they don't want me to feel bad. So if I go and do it for literal strangers who do not care about me at all, if I go and do this show and nobody laughs at it, then, then I'm probably right. And it's probably a bad idea. Um, and I did it in Rochester, New York was the first one. Uh, I think, I think only like 40 people came, but that was the best attended road version of it that I did. Um, and it worked really well when I did it, did it there for the the full hour, I think the first time. Uh, and then I, I went to a couple other places and the audiences were smaller, but like people were into it. Uh, people would tell me after, uh, that they thought it was helpful, like to deal with kind of their own stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I genuinely didn't consider that it would be helpful for anyone but me, but I'm glad that you got something out of it. Um, That's powerful. Yeah. Cause it's, I feel like if I was a bigger, bigger name, I would have toured it more, but essentially I was like, I was paying to go on vacation and do a sad thing for an hour to do these shows. Um, (laughs) And it was because I'm like, I know there's not any chance I'm going to make my money back on these shows. Um, But I did a a GoFundMe to raise money for the special pretty early on. Um, Similar to the Jerked Magazine idea of like, well, I think this is funny, but if people think it's dumb, they won't give me money to do it. And then I don't have to do it, which is also like, that's always great. Um, But for the special, I'm like, if... I don't get enough money to film this, then I shouldn't do it because enough people are like, it's basically a way to get an audience to tell you whether your idea is good or not. Kind of inconsequential of the money. Like I, I have a a camera and a film degree. Like I could have filmed it uh, for less money than I did. Um, The magazine though, that's, it's just expensive to print stuff. I needed, I needed that money if I was going to do it. Um, But yeah, like, you know, I think I sold three tickets in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Like it costs a lot more than the $11 I think I made. Uh, But doing that show for like just two middle-aged women who didn't even know what show was there that night. They're just like, I don't know. We live by the theater. We thought it would be fun to see some comedy tonight. I was like, oh, all right. (laughs) I don't know if this is the comedy you should watch right now but they did like they they talked to me a lot afterwards uh when i did it at steel stacks the venue i did my album at there was like a 17 year old kid he came up he's like yeah my dad brought me this is the first comedy show i've ever seen i was like oh jesus it's not all this sad it's usually unless you go to open mics like it's usually happier uh not necessarily better like i'm proud of the show and the material i feel like when i talk about it it sounds like i'm putting it and myself down which I'm not, I genuinely think it's good, but also it is like an hour. Like I have friends who put 
albums out around the same time. Like uh, we released Ricky's in the middle of the pandemic and we're like, is anybody going to buy it and or listen? And we're like, well, everybody's home. They don't have anything to do. I'm like, but with good grief, I'm like, they are home afraid of dying from a pandemic. I don't know <laughs> if this hour is what's going to help get them through it. Um, but like, I've seen the numbers from Amazon and like a lot of people have watched it. Um, I mean, it, it's not like people don't know what they're getting into based off of the title. If they're like, oh, right, like happy go lucky romp. Yeah. Like I say it. And that's why the lady who's like, he says the title a lot. I'm like, you dumb idiot. Like it's basically, uh, I don't know how well you guys know the, the, uh, man, when was it? 33? The, the Boris Karloff Frankenstein movie. Mm. Um, it starts by a guy coming out and telling you that this is your last chance because this movie is so scary. Uh, if you don't leave now, your heart might give out and you could die or however he words it. And that's essentially what I did where I'm like, it's sad. Like it's, it's not just a title. Like I, uh, you know, I do talk about my brother's death for a long time. <laughs> and like, if it's cause like those ladies in North Carolina didn't buy tickets to that show specifically. Like they just went out cause they were going out that night. So I'm like, okay, I want to be clear that you two know that's what this show is. So like, uh, I, th I think it was worth keeping that in and, uh, letting audiences know because again, like when you're not a well-known comic and you're, touring places like people might just they're not there to see you they're there to see the idea of comedy mm -hmm. so if your idea of comedy that night is isn't it hilarious that my brother died uh and theirs isn't like it's not going to be a good night for anybody like they'll have a bad time the show will go bad um so i think it's important i genuinely don't think it's a good title but it's the clearest one that i could think of Right. You have to be clear. Do you, uh, do you find a way to connect that with people that's like not on the album? So if people go to a show and they're not on board at first, is there a route you take to bring them in or do you just power through? Uh, there was a line that di it didn't make the album only because I forgot it. Uh, like it's, we just did the one, the one show. Um, the venue gave me the option of doing two that night, but uh, it's not a fun show to perform. So I'm like, I, I can only, I'm only going to do it the one time. And uh, I thought like, well, I could come back another night for another try, but I'm like, I just, I'd been dragging my feet on getting it recorded for a long time. So I'm like, I just, just one and done. We'll see how it goes. Um, like, unless the recording didn't turn out or whatever. Um, I just wanted to not have to do it anymore. Uh, but the line that I forgot that I, that I've always really liked. I thought of it pretty early on was uh, death. It's a difficult topic to talk about uh, harder to make jokes about, uh, but I'm a professional, which I say in the show, but then there's another one, which is like, you know, everyone here knows someone who died or you will, or it's you and you're a ghost. And it's the joke. Like we all know you, everybody knows somebody who died. Like you said at the beginning of this, you're like, Oh, you know, uh, I watched it or you got into comedy when you lost somebody and the number of people that I talked to they're like, Oh yeah. The funniest thing that I've ever laughed at was at my grandma's funeral. And like people would tell me after shows, these stories of like laughing 
at funerals or like when they find out somebody they know died or uh, I think it's, it's such a go-to coping mechanism for people. Like, I don't know, it feels good to laugh at stuff and it makes it less scary if, you know, if I can make fun of the idea of death for an hour, like then I'm going to be less anxious about it the rest of the time. Yeah. It's cathartic. It's one of the few things that connects every single human being on the planet. It's like, we all right. have that in common. So everybody has a perspective on it. Which is why, like, I'm such a narcissist where I talk about how, uh, I didn't think that anybody, like it, I didn't do it cause I thought it would help other people. I did it cause I couldn't stop myself. Like, but of course, like, you know, everyone has lost or will lose someone. Uh, and it's, it's a very universal thing. And it's also like the thought that the reason that I was, or not the reason, uh, the thing that I was thinking of jokes about it, like that's also like, that's not unique to me. Um, that's, that's what I found out from people like, Oh yeah, no, like my, uh, I'm trying to remember my friend, Andy told me a great story about his grandma's funeral and I don't remember it, but it was, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's very funny. And it would not have been funny anywhere else. Um, like the, I tell a story about my grandma's funeral in the show where my older brother and I get trapped in a room with my, my grandma's uh, rosary club from Florida. Mm -hmm. And they're like literally standing in a circle around my grandmother, just like monotone praying a lot. So we start laughing uncontrollably. I do. And my brother starts laughing at me and he's like, what is so funny? I'm like, it's, just everything, everything that's going on right now is absurd and we can't leave. And then uh, I caused too much of a disturbance and they did stop praying to ask us to leave the room. That's funny. Uh, but I'm like, it's not, it wouldn't, it, without grandma's body there, that's not that funny of a situation. Mm -hmm. That's everything like, for them. <laughs> yeah. If you just see old Floridian women praying, you're like, all right, that's what, I guess that's what they're into. But when it's around your dead grandma, like, yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> it's very American horror story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, to the point that you, you know, you made it for yourself. Like you, you started it for yourself to like cope yourself. Most comedy, that's where it starts. You know, you have to find yeah. the funny in a moment or like make something okay for yourself. And then if it's to the point where it's like genuinely funny, then you share that with other people. Um, and it, if, if you start from the point like, oh, other people are going to think this is funny, it's very inauthentic, I feel like. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. Because I think when you start out as a new comic, you're just trying so hard to get a laugh at anything. Like, you'll say anything you think will get a reaction from the audience. Like, it's not necessarily something you believe, uh, which is why, like, comics get attacked a lot for things that they say on stage. And... I think comedy people understand you're like, well, yeah, but they didn't mean it to joke, which yeah. can sound like such like a, a lame, weak defense of something where I don't think that's what they, that's at least that's not what I don't want to speak for anybody else. It's not what I mean when I say, no, it's just a joke. Like it, it doesn't mean the thing they said isn't bad, but the thing they said is just an attempt to get the audience to laugh. Like they're, saying things that they think the audience wants to hear. I think an extreme example of that was when Michael Richards went off screaming the N word over and over at that guy. And everyone's like, Michael Richards is racist. He's a monster. I'm like, no, I mean, he shouldn't have done that, but 
it's frustrating to get heckled. And if you're his go-to move was, I will say the most extreme thing possible to turn the tide of this interaction. Uh, and he got it wrong, which happens sometimes. Like mm-hmm. I'm not defending him too hard. Like you shouldn't yell the N word 50 times at somebody, but uh, I understand, I think why he did it. Uh, and it wasn't because he's racist. He might be, but I don't think that's that one incident. Isn't uh, he really, I think more so now, or more so then than now, like he really got condemned hard because that was like one of the first cell phone videos from a comedy club. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that was necessarily much worse than anything going on on any given weekend in other comedy clubs. Uh, or when uh, Daniel Tosh got in trouble for it's, it was written up as like, Oh, he got in trouble for making a rape joke. And I'm like, he was not, he was, you, he said it in a setup, I think was what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the woman started interrupting him before he got to the actual joke part. And I'm, I'm like, well, hear him out. Like you, you paid the money. Like it's fine to not like jokes and to get offended at things, but give it a shot. Like, I don't know. It's fine. Um, but also like heckling's unforgivable. Don't, I don't care what the person, like you can leave, you can just get up and go if you're having a bad time. That's fine. Right. right. Where else is that? Okay. Where else? Can yeah. You like, Oh man, <laughs> I just imagine like, take it back to this, this topic, you know, at a funeral. If someone's like, uh, yeah, excuse me, father, you clearly didn't know grandma. Like, what do you, yeah. Oh, those are the best. <laughs> if there's, I saw one in a movie recently where the, the priest at the funeral is like, you know, I didn't know whoever. And they just like still try to talk about them for five minutes because they have to. I'm like, that's, I've done that in school, man. We're like, I didn't read All Quiet on the Western Front, but it is my assignment right now to give an oral presentation about it. So here we go. And it's, that's a hundred percent what it feels like, but they still do it all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to, you got to say something and people don't like getting up and giving eulogies. It's the old Seinfeld bit about being more afraid of public speaking than death. So if you go to a funeral, you'd rather be the person in the casket than giving the eulogy. Yeah. Um, and I've done it now a couple of times and I'm like, I don't know. I, it doesn't bother me, but it's just from doing comedy. I think, or I think I do comedy because I don't mind getting up in front of people. Yeah. Like if, if it scared me, I wouldn't do it. I teach, uh, I teach intro to comedy sometimes for like, it's usually about 10 people and maybe two of them actually want to be comedians. Like the rest of them are like, I don't know, it'll help with public speaking or it seems like a fun thing to do or the pottery class was full. And those are all as good reasons to be doing this as I want to be a professional standup comedian. And the the biggest question you get from everyone is like, how do you get over the being afraid of standing up in front of people? I'm like, oh, uh, I don't know. I didn't have that. Like I just, in school or whatever, and it was never an issue to stand up and talk at people. Uh, I'm like, I, if it's that scary, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. But you're, you've already <laughs> paid money for the class. So st- stick around. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Deliver the eulogy like a best man speech, just roast the. Yeah, those are fun too. I've gotten to do that. I take any public speaking opportunity <laughs> yeah. presented to me. I'm not even the best man. I just, I just brought a wireless <laughs> mic and and found the frequency. Here we are. Yeah, there was. I was at one uh, drunk bridesmaid speeches are one of my favorite things in the world to watch but bad best man speeches are my least favorite thing to watch oh god um because the ones that i've seen drunk bridesmaids uh are drunk and sloppy but they love their friends so much and then bad best man speeches is some jerk just trying to get laughs Mm. and it's so desperate and like it just reeks of like terrible open mic comedy uh where they're trying to make this whole big event about them and drunk bridesmaids. They just, you know, they just love their friends so much. Like that's why it's fun for me to watch it. You can't laugh at that. I really love the idea. Like funeral traditions are weird. Uh, Laurie Kilmartin yeah. on it in her, in her special, um, in her album. Um, just the awkwardness of, of like calling hours or, or viewings or wake or whatever you want to call it. Uh, just the idea of standing in a line to deliver some awkward, like condolences. Yeah. Uh, have you, uh, have you watched, um, I think you should leave. Yes. Tim Robbins. So the, the funeral, yeah. uh, the, the funeral bit. It's oh, like, Fred Willard. Yeah. 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 Willard. He's playing I, that I, thing I, that makes cartoon music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a, like silly take on, on death. Um, and, and I love stuff like that. That it's just like, let's introduce this one wacky element to this thing that we've all been to and, and see what happens. You cross the line. The bit that, 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 or the, uh, the part that I, I think really ma- uh, makes the, the whole bit very endearing. Uh, you mentioned like the above ground pool. You're not bragging. That's a, that's a fun little tool. Yeah. That was uh, an ad lib on the night, actually. Yeah. Oh, well played. I don't know why. I'd done it a bunch of times, but for some reason that night when I said that I was sitting in my parents' pool, because I filmed it at the Goose Lodge in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I, especially in the pandemic, where I talk, like, if I'm doing a Zoom show and I talk about having other rooms, it, it feels in a weird way like I'm bragging. Uh, when all my New York friends are like, uh, I'm sitting on my kitchen counter because it's the only place I have in my 50 foot apartment. I'm like, I don't know. I guess I could go out back in my yard and do it. Like, you have a yard. So in, I was doing it in Brooklyn. I was like, oh yeah, I was sitting in my parents' pool. It felt weirdly braggy. So then I threw in the thing about it being above ground because then it feels like it's not. Yeah, it was very, very authentic. Uh, either way, you know, I couldn't tell it was on the spot or if it was pre-written. I was surprised. I think um, if you watch the special, you can see like it takes a couple of seconds for me to then keep talking, and I do like a little face because I didn't. I'm su- I was surprised how hard that landed. Like I wasn't expecting a real reaction off of it, but part of it I think was because my dad was in the audience, uh, and I could hear him laughing at it. And, uh, I told him, sp- I told him a couple times, like, you don't have to come to this. Like, uh, you, my, my family is very supportive. I know as a comedian, they're not supposed to be, but my dad has seen me do stand up more than anyone else in the world. Uh, 
And this show specifically, I was like, you don't have, like, you've put the time in, but like, I know that you support me in this. You can skip this one because doing jokes about my dead brother is different than hearing jokes about your dead son. Like, uh, I told him he came to the first time I did it in Scranton. I was like, you don't have to, but I'm also like, you're an adult, so you can. Uh, We drove up together for the show. Um, One of the first times uh, before I did the full show, I was opening for John Hodgman and I was, I was, that was the set I was going to do. I had to do it probably like 15 or 20 minutes. I'm like, I'm just going to do the best 15 or 20 from this show. Um, Cause it was same thing. Like it was a big crowd. They weren't there to see me. So I would get like an actual reaction. And then my dad's like, Hey, I'm going to come to the show tonight. And I was like, Oh, uh, okay. Well, I am just going to do a bunch of jokes about Mark. So maybe don't come. He's like, no, it's fine. I'll come. Uh, but then some of the, like I changed lines and stuff cause I knew he was in the audience. Mm. Um, there's the joke about, uh, getting the, the little urn cufflinks with the ashes inside. There's a line in there where I say, uh, my brother was cremated, not in the accident later on purpose. We burned him up real good, which to me is hilarious. But cause my dad was in the audience. I didn't do the joke part. I just said, my brother was cremated. And then, kept going on with the story um but yeah when i did the the pool job i'm like i don't know why is that why are you guys laughing so hard at my parents above ground pool but they did which is a good problem to have i guess yeah it's i mean it's it's very endearing so much at this joke it's it's very uh it's a great way to connect with people because like above ground pool like there's there's a you totally change what they're what they're uh, picturing in their mind's eye too. So that's yeah, absolutely. If you say, "Oh, I was hanging at my parents' pool," you sound like you're expecting nice in ground. There's a cabana, and it's it's uh, it's my parents' suburban backyard above ground pool. Yeah, that I poked a hole in when I was in fourth grade by playing spears with my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that a shovel broke. And it just had a pointy metal part and we were throwing it pieces of ice and I threw it into the pool. Mm. That's funny. And then, yeah. So that changes the visual. Like, is it, so it's, it's almost a, you know, the, the tool where you're, where you're you, a story and then here's the B story like that I'm actually telling yeah. just in one line. So well played. Um, and then the, the two lines that I love is, is no one else dies today. <laughs> when you, when you, you know, <laughs> the ladybug out of the water. And then, uh, yeah, I like that one too. That's specifically, uh, a reference to Doctor Who. Is it? Yeah, but like a, a really small one that isn't important. <laughs> but right. there's a couple. Uh, I do that in a lot of my jokes where something will be worded a specific way for a very specific reason. Like, uh, it wasn't, I mean, I like Doctor Who. I named my daughter after one of the characters, but like that doesn't help the joke at all. It's mm-hmm. just if I need to say that I don't want anyone to die, I'm going to say it. That, that's how I will say it. Yeah. Um, there's also, there's a Mystery Science Theater 3000 reference in there. I forget exactly where in the show, but my wife, you can hear it on on the special. She laughs. She's probably the only person to laugh at that line because she recognized it. Okay. But I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. So I don't know why I brought it up other than 
I do the same thing too. I'll take like old inside jokes that I had with a buddy of mine that never translated to other people. And I, yeah. I, in my stubbornness, I'm like, no, I will find a way to make this funny. And I'll like change the mm-hmm. context and throw just like a line into a joke. It, it works. It's, yeah. it's a fun little, little tool. It's almost like watching a, like an Easter egg video. Like you finish watching an episode of say Doctor Who and you're like, all right, YouTube, what Easter eggs, like what hidden things were. Yeah. You can't laugh at that. The ladybug thing, just like going into the, the, the details of like a ladybug's life cycle. It's, you know, that. Yeah. I work as a, a kid science presenter sometimes. <laughs> like I do like after school programs where uh, like we run through experiments and I explain stuff like that. So uh, and I've been a big nerd my whole life. Like I was a sciencey little kid. Uh, I like to, I like to work it in sometimes part of it is too, is cause I do a lot of colleges. I'm like, I feel like I need some of this to be educational. Mm-hmm. No one's ever specifically asked me to make it that way. And, but I feel like, cause colleges pay pretty well. And I always feel guilty when people give me money. <laughs> so I'm like, I need to make this worth it for them. Like I need to, they're in school. They should learn something. Yeah. So I'll include like what ladybugs eat or whatever in a joke just to get it in there. Yeah. Now, you know, the, the life cycle of a ladybug. And I also like how you, you call back to to the aphids. Cause it's like, that's a random thing to to point out earlier in the joke. But then when you wrap it up, like, yeah. it like gives it purpose. Throwing in callbacks is just a easy way to get a laugh. Like it was just to, structure the joke basically like i needed a reaction at that point mm-hmm. so that's how i got it you can trick people into laughing at anything sure sure um like uh like the idea of going back to work right after a death and uh i want to kind of talk about that bit um and we'll play it right now and then we'll kind of uh we'll, we'll dive into the uh the perception of death or whatever for the last 15 minutes or so um sure go from there so jeremy if you want to bring up that second clip i feel bad that my reaction to my brother's death was jokes and i feel bad that i then took those jokes on the road for three years and now i'm filming them and will sell this to people i feel bad again not bad enough that i'm not going to do it here we are but i felt bad i went back to therapy after my brother died not right after he died it was after i started doing comedy again and felt bad about it like that's (laughs) Just to paint kind of a picture of what affects me as a person. <laughs> and I told the therapist, I was like, I, f- I feel like I shouldn't be doing this, right? Like, I should not write a bunch of jokes about how my brother died and then go do them for people. Uh, and she's like, well, no, like, that's your job. You're a comedian, right? If you were a carpenter, for example, and your brother died and you went in your workshop to make, like, a bunch of chairs, for example, uh, no one would think that's weird. I'm like, right, but if I carved my brother died into all the chairs, I don't know that they'd be particularly good sellers. You know, like, I think I'd, I'd have a lot left in inventory at the end of the season would be the problem with that. That is a real conversation I had with my therapist. Yeah. Is it? That's- I remember. Go ahead. No, the the line about you carving your brother died into the chairs, was that the, actually part of that conversation? Yeah. 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 I don't think I said it. I don't think I say it in the special, but after that, she told me, she's like, you don't have to make jokes in here. 
I do. That's the problem. I think <laughs> I'm like, I can't not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an easy way to respond to, to tragedy or adversity or, you know, any of the other curveballs that we get thrown our way. Just. Yeah. I've had a couple therapists over the years and they all three of them have told me, they're like, you don't have to try to make me laugh. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm yeah. it's the only way I know how to interact with people. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think like, I might not do it, but like, I will certainly try. Sure. <laughs> That's all that matters. Too soon. We we of all people should be okay with, you know, not like fit with failure and with like, you know, losing something just because we don't cope with things in the same way that people do. I mean, the fact that your brain went to joke right away, like mine, you know, the, the morning of the funeral where I was like, oh, I need to make people laugh forever. Like I was everybody was sad and I'm, I'm like grinning like an idiot, you know, it's, it, yeah. we, we deal with the stages of grief a little bit differently. I think we dive into, uh, we don't di- go straight to acceptance, uh, but we do, there's a layer of acceptance in each of the other layers, I think, of, or the stages, if you want to go by the five. I stages. think that makes sense. Cause I, I like, my my family's pretty close and especially right after it happened, everybody was just down at my parents' house for a while. Mm. Uh, and you could like, I could see the people in my family, like going through hard levels of those, like not hard, like difficult, like, like very clear. They're at this stage of, uh, mm-hmm. I forget the woman's name who developed the five stages of grief. Um, but it's like, Oh, it's like I, my older brother at one point, I'm like, all right, so he's at anger. And then like, I could see somebody else was that was getting to acceptance. I'm like, it's so, it's not like you blend slowly from one to the other for some people. Like some people it's like today, anger. (laughs) (laughs) And for me the whole time, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I was kind of all over the place. Like I understand that all those stages of grief are there, but like, it's a little more mixed. I think Mm -hmm. when, Cause like comics, all we do is think about stuff all day and try to think of ways to make it funny. So uh, even not necessarily comics, just anybody who spends that much time in their own head. Like I, uh, when I got diagnosed with depression in college, I bought like the, um, the basically textbook on depression that therapists have and read it. And I was like, all right, I want to understand this. And I want to know, what I'm, what I'm working with. And then, uh, I told my therapist that she's like, don't do that. And I'm like, why? And she's like, well, because there's stuff in there that you don't have training to like understand. And you're not like, you might scare yourself basically like reading about more extreme versions of something that you do have where you're going to cause yourself undue anxiety. And I was like, "Mm, but I already did it. So I think I have this one. Uh, and she's like, I, I, I will handle diagnosing you. Yeah. Things. This is exactly and why. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, is it systemic depression? And she's like, Son of a bitch. <laughs> she didn't say it, but she's like, yeah, that's yeah. Which is like, it's basically what they would have described as like melancholy in the thirties, mm-hmm. which is like, I always explain it. as like, I have a pretty even keel. Like, I've had major depressive episodes, but it's not often. And it's usually just like, I feel a little bit 
depressed all of the time, kind of regardless of what's going on. So like, I never get terribly excited or upset. Like it's just, I'm a robot basically, uh, where I'll do shows and people are like, are you excited? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I couldn't tell from the way that you're just standing there with a blank look on your face. I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Or they're like, are you nervous? Yeah, no, not really. I just, I'm not worried about getting up in front of people and I've done comedy enough times now that it'll, I, it'll probably go well, like just statistically. Yeah. Like I'm not that worried about it. Right. You make the point that, uh, you know, when you talk about the five stages of grief, like they're very absolute when in reality we operate in gray. I mean, you've, we've, we've made the yeah. point that it's not so, you know, it's not so black and white. It's very, life is very nuanced. There's, you know, any number of ways to look at it, any number of ways to pick it apart. So when you say, <laughs> that's funny, the idea of like, today it's anger, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's very funny to me, but I feel like at yeah, any point. Yeah, I didn't want to work that into the show because I didn't want to like make fun of my brother, my old, yeah. alive brother. Right. But, uh, you know, I mean, when you, when you're at a funeral, that's, that's kind of funny to think about as you're looking at people, yeah. and you're at this level and you're here and you're here as a comic. I think you we operate on a level of acceptance. Like this is the way it is. Now let's, let's yeah. work out why that's okay or work out like what's funny about it or work out like, you know, what's absurd about it or what we can do about it. Yeah. Well, I think part of that for me at least is I got diagnosed with depression and then also an auto, like a chronic autoimmune disease, like around the same time Double whammy. where both of them I'm like, all right. So these are, these are facts about my life. I will always be a little bit sad. And my immune system is trying to fuse my spine into one bone. I can't change either of those things. So moving forward, what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's kind of the same thing with any new information that I get. I'm like, okay, I will accept it as fact and then react accordingly, but I'm not going to act like I don't have a chronic illness or I'm not going to act like I don't have to like really put time into considering uh, how my emotional state is going to affect me and those around me. So yeah, I'm like, well, my, I know one of the stages is denial. Uh, I think I feel like I skipped that one. Like my mm -hmm. mother called to tell me my brother died and I was like, all right, dead brother, what are we doing now? Like what's, yeah. what's next? Um, yeah. Almost like it was an audience suggestion at an improv show. <laughs> exactly. I did, I guess my stage of denial, I didn't put it in the show because it, it feels too weird. Um, but I didn't, I didn't, I don't genuinely think this, but my brother's job and the way he died so quickly and unexpectedly did seem like it could have been a cover for the fact that he is in the CIA. Like, I don't think he is, but he had just like a weird corporate job that I didn't understand that sounds like the kind of thing you would tell people you did if you were in the CIA, because they wouldn't have follow-up questions <laughs> like in, I think mission impossible three Tom Cruise's cover story is he, uh, he works as a guy who studies traffic patterns. I'm like, perfect. Like, yeah, no, nobody's going to add. He has like a speech prepared that he would give. He gives it in the movie at a party about like how traffic is a memory and everyone is just so bored <laughs> that they don't give a shit about his, about his job and my brother was a purchasing agent for a construction company I'm like yeah that's what you would tell people huh uh and it's i only had the thought because one of my other friends i do genuinely think might be in the cia because he's a private pilot 
He travels the world all of the time. Uh, he's like really fit and he like does rock climbing and jumps out of planes and stuff. I'm like, you just secretly work for the government, don't you? And he won't ever admit it because he can't. But I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, he doesn't deny it. Yeah. I'm like, you're, it's fine that you are, I guess, but your life is too bizarre for you for to not be that. Uh, so since I already thought about that, about my friend, I was like, what if maybe Mark was too, I don't think it like, I don't believe it. I mean, but I had the thought for a while where I was like, could it be like, maybe the denial part is that my brother is alive and is had to go like deep undercover for a CIA operation. But again, I'm like, he didn't, obviously. Like, obviously, he's dead. He died in a car accident. But then other members of my family would like... So he left a party that he was at that he had planned on spending the night. Like, he packed a bag. He was going to stay there. Uh, party was winding down. Everyone's like, all right, good night. We're going up to bed. Uh, and he went upstairs, and nobody saw him leave. Nobody knows why he left. Uh, and, like, other people in my family were, like, trying to, like, piece together clues I'm like, it doesn't matter why he left. Like I've been at a party and like the guy in the next room is snoring too loud. She'll be like, fuck it. I'm going to go home. Like that's as much of a reason as there is to leave a party as any. Uh, I'm like, I don't think it matters why, like it's not going to change the outcome unless I'm right. And he's in the CIA. And then that does change the outcome. What we do as like, if you're a, somebody who, looks at the things that happened to them and, and just questions it. Um, the, the line, we're all molecules bumping into each other. Um, yeah. The answer to every question in life is that <laughs> just like, Oh, it's fine. We're just, we're just molecules right. bumping. Yeah. Into it's, each other. I mean, it's all, it's all random. Uh, I mean, like I said about working as a science presenter, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I, my understanding of the universe is that the the big bang happened and everything else is just kind of a result of that until the eventual heat death of the universe. Like it's fine. Like it's fine. You're here for a little bit and then you're not, don't worry too much about it. Right. I, if, if I, if I lose, uh, if I lose a loved one and you comment on, uh, on a photo or whatever I post on social media, I expect that to be exactly what you say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in 4 billion years, the sun's going to explode and the earth won't be here anymore. So I don't know. You can either spend all your time thinking about that or just accept it and move on. Yeah. I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to be the one who stops the sun from exploding. So I don't know. I'll be the one who makes jokes about it. Right. Nothing means everything, but nothing also means nothing. (laughs) Like, and everywhere in between. And in the pandemic, like I spent so much time trying to make sure my older daughter understands what is happening, but also isn't terrified by it. Right. Where the kind of the approach I've taken is like, yeah, you just, we state things as facts. Like there is this virus. You cannot go to school right now. Uh, Daddy has an autoimmune disease. So he really has to avoid this thing. Uh, And your grandparents are all old and we don't want them to get it either. So here's what we're going to do to hopefully make the best out of it. It's so simple. You can't laugh at that. If you could, uh, if you could give any advice to uh, a comic who is approaching the topic of grief, or or uh, somebody who's not a comic who's who's dealing with it, like what what sort of perspectives would you share with them on uh, how to find ways to laugh at that? 
Um, well, I was surprised by the number of people who came up to me after seeing the show who would tell me that they thought of a similar joke and felt bad, but then they, you know, it was funerals are fun. They're parties. Like it's, there's a sad bit up front and then you have lunch. And I think more people realize that than don't. But if you're trying to find humor in, in grief, uh, I would say, don't, don't force it. Like, don't try to make jokes about it just to make yourself feel better. Mm -hmm. Uh, like the hard jokes that I wrote in the show, like the things that are set, like the ladybug stuff are all things that happen or things that I thought of like almost immediately. Um, so the longer story stuff, that's kind of what I had to sit down and write. But if I tried to sit down and write jokes with the thought of what's hilarious about the time my brother died in a car accident, like that seems ghoulish. And I don't think it would have worked. Like, I don't think I would have thought of jokes that way if, I didn't just come up with them. So I would say don't force it, just kind of uh, let it happen. It's funny that, that you say that, you know, people coming up to you and saying, oh, I had the same thought. Um, I was on a podcast uh, a few, uh, like a, a couple months ago, and uh, the two guys that hosted, um, they're both like, it, it was like an HR-based podcast, and this uh, okay. one guy actually just lost his son in an accident his seven-year-old son and his so I sent him an email saying you know hey I you know thinking of you because we talked about like using humor at work in my podcast episode yeah and I, I just said you know when I just as a reminder when you're ready there are you know find whatever opportunities you can and little moments to laugh and find gratitude and things like that and uh, he responded back and he was like I actually have thought about various bits of humor amid this dumpster fire of a no good rotten few weeks like why do people say they lost someone when they die yeah I always want to ask how hard they looked for the person, Grandpa. Mm, right. <laughs> and, that's, mm. and, and I thought, oh man, yeah. I think I say in the special, I'm like, it's not a search party. Is that what you think we're here for? Yeah. Like, it's, and it's just because you don't. It's easier to say that than to say someone died. Like, right. It's so like final. Um, in the special, uh, I, I kind of um and awe my way through a lot of the bits more than I'm usually comfortable with in comedy. Yeah. But it's because it's genuinely hard to like say the words in the special. Like uh, it's not so much that I'm like getting choked up at different points. Cause I'd done the material enough times where kind of the emotionality of it was starting to get taken out, which I didn't want. Like I didn't want to just be doing rote jokes, mm -hmm. which is why I didn't run it too much. Uh, but yeah, like on a podcast, everybody's umming and on just cause you're thinking about what you're saying in a finished comedy special. Like I don't really say it that much on my, first album because i had practiced all of that word for word probably 200 times before i recorded it where with this special it was a couple times and it is hard to just get the words out when you're trying to tell a story about your dead brother and you're sad but you're also trying to get a room full of people to laugh about it hmm. yeah that's a good point um cool man well i think you had a lot of good insight um you know, it is something that we have to, we all have to deal with at some point. And if you have that tool of being able to find humor in the little absurd things and in like the things that you don't think about regularly, uh, it's, it's definitely helpful. So I appreciate you yeah. taking the time. And I've known people who've lost other people since I've made this special. Mm -hmm. And I always feel like I should have a better thing to say, but I still don't. Like I talk about it in the special where I'm like, I don't have the answers. I don't know. But now, like, my friend's mother died a couple weeks ago, and, like, uh, it sucks. I don't know what to tell Like, it's bad, and it feels bad, and you're right. I don't 
I feel like I should say something, but I don't know what to say. So right. I'm here if you want to talk about it. Yep. That's sometimes that's the most you can do. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Um, any, uh, where can we find the album? Where can we find you on social media? Plug whatever it is you want to plug. Uh, if you go to circus trapeze.com, that's my record label. It's got, uh, all my albums, uh, your past guest, Ricky Glore, his album is up there. Um, we, I'm on any social media stuff is just at Glenn Tickle with one end. Um, you can find me there. All right, Steve, any parting thoughts? Uh, no, I didn't really go into any of the, the grief stuff that I had gone through mostly because I hadn't joked about it. Mm. Um, but, uh, no, I don't really have anything to add though. No, we definitely covered a lot for sure. Oh, for sure. It's been a, yeah. it's been a good one. Cool, Glenn. Thank you for taking the time to uh, to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks, and, man. Nice uh, meeting you. And for all you listeners who are struggling uh, with loss and grief or trying to figure out how to uh, d- help someone else deal with it, remember that you can laugh at that. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Gold Knox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Uh, hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, he makes podcasting easy. And uh, if, you're, if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.